at verse 30, 31, and 32 this evening, but we're going to kind of do it in a backwards manner um, to go back up and catch some of the things that uh, we just kind of ran through. We, we went from verse 14 to 29 last week, which is a big section, and again, that's how Mark does things. I wanted you to get the flow of thought here. And again, you have to remember where we're at. Chapter 8, uh, he, he asks him, who am I? Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Verse 31, 831, he begins to teach them that he's going to go to Calvary and die. Then he takes them and goes uh, back up to, uh, he takes the three, goes up on the Mount Transfiguration. They witness the glory and the majesty um, they see that then they come down the mountain he get picks up the 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 other disciples they go in or i'm sorry they come down the mountain they go in the disciples he sees the great multitude verse 13 14 of chapter 9 they see that this issue with the dad and the young child the 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 son they can't get him healed and and we went through that and that picture of the complete and total uh, possession by that unclean spirit and verse 21 and he asked uh, he that's to be the Lord ask his father how long is it ago since this came unto him and he said of a child and we looked last time at how, Deuter back in Deuteronomy, the, this picture here of the spiritual condition within Israel has been going on in Israel since the beginning. Deuteronomy 4, we looked at it last time and so forth. And here again, this picture, verse 22, And oftentimes it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. And again, that's what the satanic possession the captivity is trying to do it's trying to destroy this young child but it's he they're trying to destroy israel and so the dad says hey if you if thou canst do anything have compassion on us and help us so you've got the the dad here and he's as he describes the the, the possession of his son this unclean spirit if you look there uh, at verse 25, and when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. Notice, he rebukes, it's a foul spirit. It's not, I mean, it's, it's, it's grotesque. It's unclean. But notice it's deaf and dumb, dumb and deaf. And again, the picture of the condition of Israel, what are they? They, are, they can't speak for God. They, they're not where they're supposed to be. And then they can't hear his voice to move. So they're, they're, complete, they're in complete, total, satanic captivity. And verse 26, And the Spirit cried out and rent him sore and came out of him, and he was as one dead insomuch that many say he died. Again, the rage of anger here, of the Lord rebuking him and casting him out. The, all he wants to do is to destroy the child. So in the spiritual picture, the satanic captivity of Israel, all he wants to do is destroy Israel. 
so much so that he's dead. When they looked at him, what's happening? He's dead. And again, that's going to be a picture of Ezekiel 37 in the Valley of Dry Bones. What does Israel look to the world? They look dead. But yet, verse 27, Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. What's the Lord going to do? He's, Israel is considered dead, scattered out there among the nations, and yet the Lord returns, Messiah comes, second coming, and what is he going to do? He's going to restore them. He's, there's going to be a resurrection. So even though the satanic captivity has left them looking like they're dead, what's he going to do with them? He's going to resurrect them. And, and that's really the picture there. And again, that's 10 minutes of rem reminding of an hour last time. So in verse 38, I'm, I'm verse 28, and when he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could not we cast him out? And again, that's really the issue here. The issue is they come down off that mountain. The issue is he's told them, I'm leaving, I'm dying, I'm going to leave. He takes them up, shows Peter, James, and John the glory. Okay, so even though I'm going to die, and there's glory, but yet you have, there's a resistance here. And that's what he said there in verse 29. And he said unto them, this kind. Now, that's the, the kind of the link here. Can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. And we looked last time there in Matthew 9 about, hey, the prayer and fasting issue. When the bridegroom's there, there's no prayer and fasting. There's rejoicing and a good time. But when he leaves, then there's time for, now we have to mourn. Now we're going to fast. Now we're going to pray. And that's the issue here. The time for fasting is when he's gone, not when he's there. Yet he had just told them what? I'm leaving. I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. I'm leaving. That, that thing in Luke, the parable in Luke, the nobleman goes away, gets the kingdom. Meanwhile, all this is happening, and then he returns, and that's exactly what he's at. The issue here is they don't believe him. So because they don't believe him, then they are not able to, to cast that unclean, that foul spirit out. They don't stay up with the progressive revelation that's happening here. And that's a piece of this that we tend to uh, forget. We tend to overlook. We tend to not be, uh, we, we tend to just kind of ignore because when we think about progressive revelation, we think about the message given to Paul. But the, the, I, I was just looking for the verse and it, it slipped my mind right now where he says, the prophets and the, and the law were until John, and then now is the preaching of the kingdom, and every man presseth into it. That's Israel's program. That's a progressive revelation now. Now it's not, we're going to talk about the kingdom and, and the prophesied future of it. Now it's repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. The offer is here now. So the progressive revelation here in the Lord's ministry is, hey, repent the kingdom, and then the, the rejection, and then now it's time for me to go die. They don't get that. They miss it. There's a 
they, they don't stay up with the progressive revelation that he's given to them, so then therefore they've lost the capacity to function in his absence, in his authority, which is what's coming when the early Acts ministry happens. He goes away, the Comforter comes, the Holy Spirit comes, and then they're going to function, they're going to occupy till he comes. They don't do that unless they do what? Stay up with the revelation. So the prayer and fasting issue has nothing to do. When I was on my diet, the lady, my doctor, lady, nutrition doctor, she says, if you find yourself doing, you know, gaining a little weight, you know, a couple pounds, that's a little weight, by the way, a couple pounds. I'm thinking a little weight, what, 10, 15, 20, you know, that's a little weight, right? You know, just a little weight. Then do, do an intermittent fasting thing. That's not what he's talking about. Too many Christians today have taken the issue of fasting and made it into a religious experience thing, and it's not that in Scripture at all, actually. What are they doing? Now the prayer and fasting, it has to do with them not staying up with the program, the advancing in the information. So in verse 29, when he says, this kind, that's what we're going to look at, because verse 30, which is where... 30, 31, 32 here tonight, what does he say? And they departed thence and passed through Galilee, and he would not that any man should know it. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. But they understood not that saying and were afraid to ask him. Again, He's laying it out, and they don't. They're 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 afraid there. Now he he they just saw him resurrect the kid that looked dead. Okay, he they just saw that. Jesus Christ says, "What you just saw. What did they? What happened in verse twenty-eight? I'm sorry, verse uh, twenty-six. The spirit cried, rent him sore, and came out of him." What that, and he appeared to be what? Dead. You see, the Lord's talking to his disciples, and he says, you guys see what that unclean spirit just did to that kid? That's what they're going to do to me. They're going to kill me. Oh, by the way, they're going to kill you too, but they're going to kill me. So when you, this kind, when we look at that rage that the satanic cohorts here have, they're going to do that to me, they're doing it to the nation, the apostate, and they're going to come after you guys. And the hope of the nation of Israel doesn't just rest in the fact that the Messiah is going to die, but he has to what? Be resurrected, be risen. And you know what? They didn't understand it. Verse 31, they were afraid to ask him. Now, again, he's trying to bring them to some understanding. He's trying to, to get them there. It's just not, they're just not getting it. And the issue of the death, burial, and resurrection, it's new to them. And that's important to remember here. They're not preaching the gospel of Christ, of the grace of Christ, the God, Paul's gospel. They, been, they don't even understand this basic component of the, the death, burial, and resurrection. They've been preaching the gospel of the kingdom. It's here. It's there. 
And again, we have to make sure that we don't miss that here because it's very clear that there's a dispensational move here within Israel's program. It's not to you and I and what we preach today, the gospel of the uncircumcision, the gospel given to Paul where Paul calls it my gospel. They're moving here. So there's more going on in this passage than him just telling them I'm going to die. We go up on the Mount Transfiguration and we just do this Mount Transfiguration. And then we throw a kid, we heal a kid, and now we're going to do this. And there's a ton more going on. And I want to catch that this evening because of that issue where he says there in verse 29, this kind. And then he says in verse 31, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. The picture is being painted. The, to the, the, the adversary that the little flock's going to face, the Lord is facing, the, has that nation in complete and total captivity. And, and that, that he controls Israel. He holds them captive. And what it's going to take for the Messiah to be able to deliver them is the fact that first he has to be their redeemer. He can't deliver them. He can't avenge delivering, rescue, avenge, annihilating the enemy until he's first the redeemer. He can't do anything else until he can, he's what? Redeemer. Redeemer first. Why? Because they're sinful men, they need their sins forgiven, and then he's able to carry on. So he first has to be their redeemer. And they don't understand that. That's where verse 32, or verse 32 is. They don't understand it. They don't, they're not catching. You know what they saw, what they see? They see the majesty, the glory of the kingdom, they see all that. They see him deliver the kid and rescue. They don't understand the redemption part. And that's this kind, the adversary. Now go back up to verse 22. And oftentimes it, so the foul spirit, the unclean uh, devil, the unclean spirit here. Notice, it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to what? To destroy him. Now, before the Lord could use Israel and, and carry out what the plan with Israel is, what has Satan done? He wants to destroy her. He wants to destroy her. And how he does it is by taking Israel and casting her into the fire and into the water. And there's this connection with the satanic activity, Satan and his angels, and they're connected with the issue of fire and water, these two things here. And they figure into Satan, and we're going to see it here in a minute, his fall, and all of this that's going on around him, and yet it's also how he is going to try and stop the Lord and the redemption and the deliverance, and not the redemption, sorry, the deliverance and the avenging part, if I can destroy them. So come back to Ezekiel 28. So we're going to depart from Mark and just catch some ideas here 
about this issue of fire and because of the, the captivity, this kind, the only way to get rid of the satanic captivity, this kind, is for me to go die first, be buried and resurrected. Then I can deliver, then I can avenge, then that will bring in the kingdom and the blessing and so forth. Ezekiel 28 Start in verse 11. Now, Ezekiel historically is written uh, about the king of Tyrese, verse Tyrus, verse 2, the prince of Tyrus, verse 2, and the king here of Tyrus in verse 12. Prophetically, it is about the Antichrist. First, as the prince, as the man of sin, as the king, the son of perdition. Then, and again, it's just like Isaiah 14. We're going to get over there in a minute. That's a second coming passage. As Satan is being bound and cast off into the bottomless pit, and the nation of Israel sits there and mocks him as he's going, hey, you remember your plan over there? And, and so forth. Ezekiel 28, verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Now, that's how you know he's not talking to literally the king, the, the guy standing there, because who was in the garden of Eden? The Lord, Adam and Eve, and the adversary. That's it. The angelic host, but who? the angels don't say anything or do anything. Who's, who's doing the talking? <laughs> the Lord, Adam and Eve. And the adversary. All right? So keep. By the way, you got to put this stuff where it belongs, or otherwise you get yourself all wigged out in your mind and you need to be clean. Anyway, every precious stone was I covering the sardis, topaz, and the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle and gold. Notice all of the jewels. They're set, they're his covering. He's beautiful, he's a beautiful creature. He's not ugly. He's not a drag. He's not a tail, horn, tail, pitchfork kind of looking guy. This guy is gorgeous. He's set. He's got jewels on him. He and the workmanship of thy tabrets and thy pipes was prepared in the in the day that thou wast created. He's 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 all the music, all the jewels. He's beautiful. Verse fourteen. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. And I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Now, you've got to pay attention to this. The holy mountain of God is going to match Isaiah 14, the mount of the congregation in the north. Job 1, he calls all the angels together. They come and they give an accounting. So we're talking about judgment the mountain of God is where judging takes place. Fire is associated with judgment in Scripture. So when you think about this, uh, look over, hold on to here, and look at Psalms 82. Just um, Psalms 82. Some of this we talked with in the men's fellowship first of the year, but Psalms 82 and verse 1. Psalms 82.1, God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. 
That is the angelic realm giving an account at the great white, uh, at the mountain of the congregation in the north. Okay, there's a there's the, the they gather them together. There's a mountain that sits up in the north. Solomon, by the way, in Lebanon. That's what made me think about the great white throne judgment. Solomon, and when he falls, he makes himself a throne of judgment. It sits up in the northern territory. It's uh, on the coast of Lebanon. And that, that throne is, cover, is ivory. It's white. So there's a great white throne of judgment there by Solomon. Now, Solomon is a t- picture of the Antichrist in his last days. That counterfeit issue is what's happening. So go back to Ezekiel 28. So Lucifer starts here, and he starts with fire in his repertoire. Literally... Lucifer was the one set. He's the cherub that covereth. He's the anointed cherub. He's leading the creation in worship of of the glory of God. But yet he's also the one in charge of judging out the creation, making sure the creation is doing what creation ought to be doing, the angelic realm at at, at the time. Okay? So he's the one that's administrating God's justice he's the one controlling he he's he's in control of making sure people are doing what they need to be doing and i say people it's actually angels okay (laughs) but he's making sure everybody's in lockstep that's why in job one the lord asked him where you been well he's not in the third heaven because he's he can't get up there so this mountain of the congregation of the north spiritually is in the second heaven up in the northern quadrant and he says well i've been to and fro walking around earth and now i'm up here well here's where we're at so verse uh 14 uh thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stone of fire thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee he sent iniquity something happened here Now, you have to remember, this is moving us back to the beginning, Genesis 1-1, The issue of iniquity in Scripture is always associated with satanic activity, whether it's believing the lie and moving on or devilment. When in, In 2 Thessalonians 2, when Paul says, The mystery of iniquity doth already work. Iniquity took on a mystery form, but it took it on in Genesis 1-2. It, hasn't, it isn't new because we're in the age of grace. It's there. How do you know that? Revelation 17. Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of all harlots. Okay? It's, it's a mystery in that we have a lie that we're trying to sell merchandise, traffic to everyone. Verse four, 16. But the multitude of thy merchandise... They have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Notice, iniquity and sin, two, two things are separated. I will cast thee also profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. So the stones of fire, isn't a ba- it, it's, it's, it's associated with judgment. That's what I want you to see. So when they say, hey, we're going to go over here and we're going to do fire and water, we're, we're talking about something that the, 
adversary and his cohorts, his angels, are very familiar with. Actually, they have an affinity towards. Remember the legion? Don't, don't kick us out of land. So he goes, put them in the pigs, and they go run off into the lake, into the water down there. Okay? Uh, verse uh, 17. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. By the way, 1 Timothy 3, Paul says, pride got him. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Cast to the ground. Think about that. Judgment. Verse 18, thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thy iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. Matthew 25, 41, the Lord looks over there and he says to those goats that are going to be carried off that hell was created for the devil and his angels. Hell, judgment, that's what stopped the rebellion in the heavenly host, in the angelic realm, was the creation of hell. Again, 1, 1, Genesis 1, 1, 1, 2. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold them hell the lake of fire that eternal fire the judgment there so he starts out in this judgment capacity he, and he ends up being what judged and there's this connection with the lake of fire and hell and it was prepared for him and so on okay so when we talk about that devil and ripping him and, and, and doing it in fire and water, it's nothing new to these guys. That's where they know to work. Come on over to Isaiah 14. So fire is associated with the adversary's fall, just as water is associated with his fall as well. Isaiah 14, verse 12. Isaiah 14, 12, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weakenest the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart. Notice the past tense here. They're, they're reminding him of what you said back there between Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2. Here's what you said. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. There's that mountain of God. I will ascend above the heights of the, what? The clouds. Now, again, throne of judgment above, mount congregation, but then above the clouds. What are clouds made of? Water. There's three forms of water. A solid, a liquid, and a vapor. So this cloud here. Now clouds in scripture have to do with hiding the glory of God from his creation. Come over to chapter 6. I just remind you of our study. Just, you, you should just fire this stuff right off in your brain. When we're talking in uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 and we meet the Lord in the air in the clouds, we're not talking about the puffy clouds out there. We're talking about this this, well, Isaiah 6, verse 1, 
uh, we're talking about this ability to hide away, hide the glory of God from his creation. Isaiah 6.1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. The twain he covered his face, and the twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the host of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Where do we get smoke from? Fire. Fire. <laughs> okay. Verse 5. Then said I, woe is me. There's, that's the, by the way, that's the name of Isaiah's horse. Woe is me. <laughs> Oh, come on, if you're reading Far Side, that's not too far away there, okay? Verse 5, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, now watch, which he had taken from the tongues from off the altar. So where's the fire coming from? There's an altar. What do they do at the altar? They worship is what they do. So Satan says, Isaiah 14, I'm going to ascend above the clouds. I'm going to go where God lives, above the clouds, on the other side of the, bear, of the hide, the blind, if you will, and I'm going to be worshipped just like God is worshipped. Now, what happens in, think about Baal worship, Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. What do they do up in the clouds, in those high places? They worship. If you come over to 2 Kings 15, see, actually, well, Genesis 11, what do they build? They build a tower. They can reach up into heaven. Now, that isn't a big skyscraper going up. It's an it's a th issue of we're going to do some things up here on the top that's going to replace God and his authority and his power, and we become the gods. Okay? Uh, 2 Kings 15. i got to get there. 2 Kings 15. Look at verse, oh, verse 4. Verse 3. And he did that which is that which was right in the sight of God according to all that his father Amazon had done this is uh, jo uh, uh, Je Jekyll and uh, I'm sorry no this is uh, Jeroboam king of Israel and Amazon king of Judah verse 1 there but watch verse 4 so he did everything that was right in the Lord's eye except for one thing verse 4 save that the High places were not removed. The people sacrificed and burnt incense still on the high places. What did he do? He did everything right except for remove the high places. He didn't remove Baal, the Baal worship centers. The, he didn't go in and knock down the churches that, were worship, that served Baal. He left them. Come on over to Jeremiah 13. Jeremiah 13. So the high places, the clouds, 
are associated there. Jeremiah 13. Jeremiah 13 and verse 16. Here's a description of what's happening in those high places. Give glory to the Lord your God before he caused darkness and before your feet stumbled upon the dark mountain. And while ye looked for light, he turned it into the shadow of death and make it gross. Dark. See what's going on up there? Not just darkness, but gross darkness. That's what's happening in when they worship Baal and that vain religion, that, that apostate religion. They got spiritual darkness going on here. That's why in John 1, he'll say that it's darkness the light shineth in the darkness, John 1, verse 5, and the darkness comprehended it not. We're not talking about the lights go out in the room and it's dark, oh my goodness, but rather we're talking about spiritual darkness. That's why in John 3, men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. That's where we're at. Baal worship. Israel was under complete satanic captivity. And the fire and the water is associated with it. It's connected. So in Mark, by the way, again, that, we'll come back here to Mark. I'm going to find Mark 9. What happened in Mark 5 with that guy? He goes, they go off into the water, and there's the... He's, by the way, the guy in Mark 5, he's in the tomb doing what? Cutting himself. And that issue of cutting and that, that it, those, those things that they were doing uh, in the issue of um, worship and service under the satanic captivity. Look over, um, did I tell you where to go next? Mark 9. Well, go back to Ezekiel. Let's go back there. Ezekiel 31. You, this stuff is just, you know... When the Lord says in Mark 9, this kind, this is what he's talking about, this captivity. Now, Ezekiel 31. In Ezekiel 31, there's a prophecy, uh, prophecy here uh, against Pharaoh. If you look at verse 1, And it came to pass in the eleventh year, in the third month, in the first day of the month, that the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his multitude, whom art thou in thy great? I'm sorry, whom art thou like in thy greatness? Behold, the Assyrian was a. You see that issue of he's talking to the king of Pharaoh, but this isn't the king that had Moses and all of that. This is, this is a guy. He's called the Assyrian. Okay. Now, by the way, the Pharaoh of Moses' day didn't know who. You remember, didn't know who Joshua was, or I'm sorry, Joseph. And Isaiah, he says he was a usurper. He's what? A picture of the Antichrist. He's a picture of the Assyrian. You want to find Isaiah 10, Micah 5, that Assyrian ends up being the Antichrist. What's happening, verse 3? Behold, the Assyrian was a cedar in Lebanon with fair branches and with a shadow shadowing shroud and a high statue and his top was among the thick boughs by the way ezekiel 31 tell is really begins to kind of talk about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil here and what it was and where it went 
And yet, what's happening? We we're re literally are reading a picture of the satanic captivity of Israel. Look down at verse 16. I made the nations to shake at the sound of his fall. Isn't that interesting? He went down, verse 15. The day that he went down to the grave, I caused him out. I, he's just boom. Verse 16. I made the nations to shake at the sound of his fall when I cast him down to hell with them that descend into the pit. And all the trees of Eden, the choice and the best of Lebanon, all that drink water shall be comforted in the neither parts of the earth. Isn't that interesting? Comforted. Now, what, what are they comforted over? 30, chapter 32, and look at verse 31. Pharaoh shall see them and shall be comforted over all his multitude. Even Pharaoh and all his army slain by the sword, saith the Lord. You know who they are comforted over? They're comforted over all the people that God just destroyed in verse 27, 28, and 29. You know what they are? They're Romans 1, verse 32. They have pleasure in doing the sin and even more pleasure in causing other people to do the same thing. They're sadistic and then they're masochistic. And that's exactly what's happening with this demon in the child in Mark 9. This kind. They, the multitude, all the people that God destroyed, they're comforted. The depth, Revelation calls it the depth of Satan. That's what we're talking about. That's what captured Israel. That's, where, that's that, that whole issue there of ripping and the rage and the anger. And the fire and the water come back to the original start of Satan. And it ends with what is going to judge him. They're, so the fire and the water are second coming phenomena that are associated, that are connected to the destruction of Satan. And again, that's why in Mark 9 he says, this kind. They're only cast out by what? Prayer and fasting. That's the only way to get... Why? Because what is prayer and fasting connected to? The cross, the crucifixion. Because that's the information that he just gave them. So the only way to understand... only way to get this going, guys, is you need to understand, i got to go to the cross first. Then I can deliver, and then I can avenge. This kind, this complete and total, come over to Isaiah 49. This complete and total cap, satanic captivity that Israel is gripped in, that kind can, it can only come out when you guys understand that I have to be the redeemer first. Then I can do the rest. As the Redeemer, he's able to do what? Be the Deliverer and the Avenger. Now, look at Isaiah 49, because what's happening here, and we learn this through Paul in the book of Ephesians, actually quite a bit, in the book of Colossians, but we learn that Satan is so blinded by the rage, the bloodthirst, 
that he misses what God's doing with the cross in connection to Israel. He has no idea about us, but look at, he, he misses what he's doing here. In Mark 9, when the Lord says this kind, what's he telling the, the, the little flock? I have to go to, cross, to Calvary and die so I can be your redeemer so that I can then deliver you and avenge you, so I can then destroy the adversary. The adversary missed that, 1 Corinthians 2. If the princes of this world knew it, they would not have crucified. And yes, that's Paul's and the, gospel, the hidden wisdom, but it's also this information with Israel. They missed it. And he misses it because of that blind, bloodthirsty rage to rip and to destroy Israel. He's over here. You know what they always say. When one hand's doing something over here and you're focused over here, don't forget about the other hand, right? The politicians and stuff. That's what's happening here. Look at Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49, verse 24. Shall the prey be taken from the mighty or the lawful captive delivered? There's the objection by the adversary. They're lawfully mine. You, they've broken your law. They've broken the covenant. They're mine. They're in complete captivity. Right? Verse 25, what's the first word? But. Don't miss the buts. But. Thus saith the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. For I will contend with him that contendeth with thee, and I will save thy children. You know what he says? He says, the adversary says, they're mine, they're legally mine, they're captive. And the Lord says, yeah, but I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to. And he's literally making Satan matter. He's, well, Colossians says that he triumphs over daily, openly. Sorry, not daily, openly triumphing over. What's he doing? He's just sitting there poking the adversary. He's just poking him. You ever have a kid that just sit there and copycat each other and, you know, my dad used to tell me, don't let your brothers push your buttons. What's the, what's the Lord doing? He's pushing the button. He's just, Satan has literally, he's just getting hotter under the collar. He's getting madder. He's getting madder. So he's going to miss something, isn't he? He's missing what God's doing with, in connection with the cross with the nation of Israel, with the little flock. Verse 26, and I will feed them that oppress thee with their own flesh and they shall be drunken with their own blood as with the sweet wine and all flesh shall know that I am the Lord I, I'm sorry I, that I the Lord am thy Savior and thy Redeemer and the Mighty One of Jacob three of the titles see he, he's just sitting there and he says hey I'm, in the end, I'm going to save you. I'm going to be. I'm going to be able to deliver you, and I'm going to be able to destroy the adversary. But I have to redeem you first. So what do I got to do? I got to go to Calvary. Now the disciples don't get that. They don't understand it. They then they're afraid to ask. He's not doing. It. He's doing it to help them get there. But what's he doing over here? He's sticking the devil. One more. That thing there about. I will contend with him that contend. Let your eye run across to chapter 50, verse 4. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. 
He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away my back. I gave my back to the smiters. Psalms 129. Psalms 22. And my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. There's Calvary. How do we know they plucked his beard? It's the, this is the only verse. How do we know they pierced his feet? Psalms 22, the only verse. That's how we know that. For the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. In a little bit in Mark, he's going to say, i got to set my face, and i got to go to Jerusalem. What's he doing? This right here. He is near that justifieth me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near unto me. Who, who is this? Colossians 2, 15. You need to write that down there by verse 8. Because what's Calvary going to do? That triumph opening, openly triumphing over them. He's just poking this. He's poking the adversary because what does he have to what does the adversary, what is the adversary going to do? Kill him. Mark 9, kill him. Lay him out there. Crucify him. And he's going to do it in a blood rage. But, he's, but the Lord says, you're doing that, so I, now, the end of chapter 49 there, I can be what? I can be their redeemer, I can deliver them, and I can avenge them. He has... Come back to Mark 9 now. He has enraged the adversary to a point where he says, verse there, he's, they're going to kill me. They're going to look at, he's going to rip me. He's going to, verse 26, Mark 9, 26, the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him. He's going to rip me. He's going to, they're going to kill, I'm going to look dead. And all the time that Satan's in this rage, he's missing that before I can be your deliverer and your avenger, I have to be your redeemer. That's why it's book one in Psalms. He's got to redeem them first. They've got to be a righteous, a justified, a, a, a blood-bought people, if you will. And now we can go and carry out the program. So when he says in verse 29, and he said unto them, this kind, it's this kind of rage against God's people that they're seeing in the picture with the little boy. And here, here's God's deliverance. It's going to come. He's going to come and raise them up, take, deliver them, avenge them. But I can only do that, verse 31, because of Calvary. Verse 30, and they departed thence and passed through Galilee, and he would not that any man should know it. They're on their way to Jerusalem. That's where they're headed now, because from here down through, we're headed to Calvary. Verse 31, for he taught his disciples and said unto them, again, he's trying to get them up to date. They blew it. They can't. Literally, from this, from this moment on, they never can heal anyone else. They can never do the miracle works. There's going to be some people next, later on in this chapter, I think, or ne next chapter, that can, the 70, and they have power to do, and the disciples are jealous of it. 
because what did they, they're not progressively progressing along. They don't believe the word. So he's gonna he's trying to educate them. So what does he say? The Son of Man is no no, I love this, is delivered. This is a done deal. This is why, by the way, in Luke 24, after the cross, the Lord does what? Opens their understanding and brings them up to speed. Then they can go do what they're, the miracles that they need to do. Peter heals. John heals. They cast out devils. Peter raises the dead. They do a whole bunch of stuff in the early Acts. Why? Because they have their understanding brought up. You know what they're doing now? They're praying and fasting. That's what they're doing. Why? Because the Savior, the bridegroom's gone. He'll come back one day. The rage, the cross. Verse 31. He returns to the reason why the cross is necessary. In order to be Israel's deliverer and avenger, he had to be their redeemer first. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men. In Acts 2, Peter says it this way. Because it is the facts. Uh, Acts 2, verse 23, him, talking about Jesus of Nazareth, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. Guess what? The Son of Man is delivered. Why? Because that was the plan. That's the procedure coming from, from the very beginning. Okay? You have taken by wicked hands and crucified and slain. Mark 9, 31. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. Total captivity that Satan has them in. He's got a hold on Israel. And what's required is for them to be redeemed out of that. And so he goes to Calvary. He can redeem them. But then what can he do? He can turn around and destroy the adversary and the captivity. Verse 32, they, but they understood not that saying. Now, we know why. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7 and 8, we understand that. Paul's revelation shines light back into here, and we can see that. How we know and understand what's going on in Isaiah 49 is the light given to us by Paul. He's laying the foundation here is what he's doing. Luke 24, he'll open their eyes. Look over there at Luke 24. Just the way he says this. Luke 24, verse 44. He's laying the foundation. Again, he's going to obey. He's going to open their eyes. Luke 24:44 and he said unto them these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you what did he just say to him in mark 9 I'm going to be delivered and I'm going to be killed but on the third day I'm resurrecting I'll be risen I'll be raised sorry from the dead which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the psalms concerning me so what is he going to do? Luke 24, Acts 1 says he was with them for, 50, for uh, 40, was it 40 days? I just, just really went out. He's just spent 40 days with them. What's he do? 
He takes them back through Isaiah 49, 50, and 51 and explains to them, all right, you see this? This is why. You see that? This is why. You see that? And you know what they go? Oh, now we get it. And you know what the adversary did? He just went, you, he can't be mad at anybody but himself. Because what did he do? The Lord shows the disciples that from the very beginning, here is what the plan of the Father really was. And, the, and, and because of the rage of the adversary, it got done. So the young, come back to Mark 9. So the young man's plight here, picture of the total captivity of Israel as they're in Satan's grip. But yet, what did Christ do? He kicks the dumb, deaf and dumb spirit out, the unclean, the foul out. Satan loses his possession. Christ comes in. He, what does Satan do? Kill him. Rip on him. Boom. Christ says, guys, I can be the deliverer and the avenger. I will be that. But I first have to go to Calvary. I have to be the kinsman redeemer. I can't do anything else until then. So what we see in Mark 9, what Paul calls in 1 Corinthians 2, the hidden wisdom of God, which is the dispensation of grace, what we see here in Mark 9, though, is the wonderful wisdom of God operating and working in Israel's program. And had Satan known what God was doing, what, what he was going to accomplish on the cross as Israel's redeemer, <laughs> he wouldn't have crucified him. Because in order for him to deliver and avenge, what does he have to be first? Redeemer. He can't do the other two without that. So if Satan had known what God was going to accomplish by the cross, again, Israel's redemption, deliverance, and his destruction... He would not have, he would have went the other way. But he doesn't because of the rage. And the, just the blood thirst of, I will be God. I'm going to be the possessor of heaven and earth. I'm going to do that. So when you come back here in Mark 9, a lot more going on than just healing another kid on the way to, to Jerusalem. Why? This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. That's also how you know he's got to be the Redeemer first because the prayer and fasting signal he's leaving. Why is he leaving? i got to go to Jerusalem to be killed, to be crucified. Third day I'm going to rise, but I'm leaving, guys. Now it's time for prayer and fasting this rage can't be dealt with, can only come out, can only be cast out by first being the Redeemer, Redeemer and then I can come and deliver and avenge. And from this moment on in Mark, he's going to be the Redeemer. And the wonderful thing is, is that we see the wonderful wisdom of God in in. in full display in prophecy here of what he was doing 
The adversary missed it, nailed him. You and I come in, we, we learn about our program, and we look back at it and we go, wow, look at that. Look at what's happening. Because what do we do? We then, too, rejoice in the wisdom of God. So that's where we're at. We got through three verses. woo Okay. We'll, we'll pick up in verse 33 next time. But don't, just because we kind of go through the flow and everything, I wanted you to see tonight, there's a lot more going on in this than just the pictures that we saw. There's a whole depth of it. Now, again, we'll get down in. We'll see some things about hell and the lake of fire and Gehenna and all that as we go down into this um, in the rest of this passage, okay? All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the look into your word, which demonstrates and puts on display your wisdom and the fact that you had a plan from the very beginning. And that wisdom is to ultimately glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you in that. And in that we, we say thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right.